Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Hello, welcome to the Athletic Football Pod. I'm Mark Chapman, and we're just going to change it a little bit this week. No business of sport pod this week. Instead, we're going to discuss the news that David Ornstein broke on Tuesday evening. The Manchester United have reached an agreement with Ajax's Eric Ten Hag to be their new permanent manager. So David is with us now, along with the Athletics' Adam Crafton and Carl Anker. And we'll start with you, David. Just give us the headlines. Yeah, well, Eric Ten Hag, Mark, is going to be the new permanent manager of Manchester United, subject to them finishing off the formalities of this appointment, which means putting everything in writing. Might not be that quick because Eric Ten Hag is a stickler for detail and he'll want everything in the contract to be absolutely spot on. But I think now they're at a point where it is definitely going to get done. They need to cross the T's, dot the I's, talk about timings of announcements and things like that to be respectful to Ajax, strike an agreement with Ajax to release him from his contract there. But the top line is that Manchester United now have a verbal agreement in principle with Eric Ten Hag for him to take over. And that basically brings to an end their managerial recruitment process, which we've reported on since the end of January and I can talk you through that in due course and it's going to be a contract running up to four years. They still need to agree the backroom staff and a number of other issues but yeah this is now almost at an end. It's pretty much a done deal. But there's still some stuff to iron out to put in the contract. Yeah there will be a lot to discuss around power, around responsibility, around lines of authority and communication, who does what, what place Ten Hag takes in the decision-making process, players coming in and out, budgets, coaching staff, severance agreements, if it ever comes to that, just making sure that everything is spot on for Eric Ten Hag. He tends to read over his contracts pour over it in in fine detail wherever he's been and it's going to be no different on this occasion and I think the way things have gone for Manchester United in recent times the feeling among the fans is that that's for the best he's doing the right thing he wants to get this right and increase maximize his chances of succeeding at a club where 
most other managers since Sir Alex Ferguson have failed. Accusations that the hierarchy and the structures and processes are a little bit dysfunctional. So if he's going to take this job and do it well, he wants it to be right. And that's why the contract needs to be bang on. That's what I was going to say to you, Carl. I mean, it might take two years to sort this contract out if they're trying to untangle the hierarchical structure and the lines of communication. Yes, this is a slightly confusing one. Uh, so last year, Leori Whitwell did a fantastic article on John Murta and uh, Nicky Butt and their position in the Manchester United hierarchy. And he did a fantastic family tree. And then within, I think, two days, he had to update it because Nicky Butt quite quickly left. Um, so Manchester United, there is a, a high level of, if you want to call it nice, you can call it bureaucracy. If you want to be not nice, you can probably call it dysfunction. Um, and I think trying to figure out how Ten Hag will, will fit into that will be quite interesting. Uh, I've often described Manchester United as a bit of a Gordian knot. And obviously the simplest way to do that is just whip out your sword, cut it up and untangle the whole mess. Whereas I think what Ten Hag will most likely do and what he will most likely argue for in his contract is to uh, be done with the entire tangled mess and get a brand new rope. Well, it's a great time, for, I think, for him to be coming in. I know some people will look at it and think, you know, the club's on its knees. But I think for, for, for a coach, that's actually an advantage because expectations are so low. I mean, at the moment, said on the podcast the other day that... Man United play Norwich at home on Saturday and I don't think anyone thinks you know 100% Man United will win that game so he comes into a situation that I think makes him look you know like the answer almost a bit of a saviour complex around the situation but but I do think it's interesting a lot of the the reporting over the last week or so has been around this this idea of will Eric Ten Hag get the power in recruitment in uh, getting players out of the club and it's an interesting one because we've also been told for you know for years how Ajax is so well run in terms of having a sporting director and a hands-on chief executive that the club makes structural decisions. That's not that Eric Ten Hag didn't make decisions at Ajax, but there was a clear structure behind him that meant he could get on with doing the coaching. So all of a sudden for the idea of Ten Hag being, I want to be this you know almost Ferguson-style hands-on manager that has control of this, 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 seems quite different. And also bearing in mind, United now have sporting a football director in John Murta. They're about to hire a deputy football director. They've got Darren Fletcher as technical secretary. And we still don't know what's going on with Ralph Rangnick in terms of this consultancy agreement that he's got for the next two years. So, and then you add on to all of that, the scouts, the data analysts. I just wonder what, what it is exactly that Ten Hag wants control of or, or or this big say into is it just is it just sign off David really that he's not going to have players thrust upon him that, that he wouldn't that he wouldn't choose but to be fair I don't think that's been a problem at United G- generally managers have had players that, that they've asked for yeah I don't know the precise ins and outs of it but I think there will be a lot of protection around where he has his say and I don't know final sign-offs and vetoes on recruitment as opposed to he's in control of it all you're right the structure at Ajax and, and, and United's quite different and he actually comes relatively low maintenance we don't think he's going to bring in many members of backroom staff he's going to collaborate with Manchester United on who they're going to appoint a lot of Premier League experience and suppose the recruitment process would actually work in theory relatively smoothly with him given his background I think it's just securities and making sure that everything that they talk about now which I'm sure will be 
very flattering for Ten Hag in these negotiations because Manchester United want him is actually delivered over the course of that contract and it's not ripped up or they go on a different path during the course of that tenure and if they do he has some written guarantees to fall back on. I think there's an interesting parallel to be made to the last Dutch manager that arrived at Manchester United. So Louis van Gaal arrived and very much throughout his career van Gaal had a reputation of being a coach and very much taking control of training. Uh, and then when he arrived at Manchester United, he, as written in his book, essentially wished to become more of an English manager and wished to have more of that control. Um, and he stopped taking training to the same degree he did at previous clubs and, and then tried to, to become a, a more uh, Ferguson-esque United-style figure in terms of control. I think that is less likely to be the case with Ten Hag. I think one of the big questions with everything that, that goes on here is... And I think one of the big concerns of Manchester United fans is, well, you keep saying Ten Hag is a fantastic coach. Manchester United did more than a fantastic coach because there's just so much strangeness in that footballing environment. And I think what control perhaps is a misnomer of a word. I think the the idea is essentially Ten Hag possibly, and you know, David, you please correct me, Ten Hag's probably looking in his contract for reassurances that he can focus on doing his job which is and the things that he's good at, which is being a very, very good football coach uh, and probably wants those sort of reassurances that whatever the hierarchy is, whatever the family tree is around him allows him to focus on doing the things he's known for, which is you know, meticulous attention to detail on, on the training field. I think that's a really good point and it's more a presumption, but I assume that is more the direction of travel for him, but also just where he fits into those wider decisions because I think perhaps United went too far the other way with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with this perception from outside that although he had a clear say in matters, for example, and this is hypothetical, how much of a say did he have in the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo? And will Eric Ten Hag be told, you are having a Ronaldo, we've decided, we've got the opportunity, we can't let it slip, he's coming in, and then you're stuck with him? Does Ten Hag get to say, no, I am fundamental to that decision-making process and my voice carries as much weight as others? Adam, I must stress that's not something I know is happening, but it would strike me as being a logical um, area to cover off. Any idea what he wants to do with Ronaldo? I do do think in the interview process and the talks that United have with their candidates, and, and Mark, I can go over that process as well if you want, the control over incomings and outgoings and building the squad for next season and beyond was a clear area of discussion. Well, as we've discussed many times, Adam, having control over outgoings strikes me as, as as important as having control over incomings on the basis that hardly anybody seems to go out of Manchester United. And actually, that's the problem. So so the club have been obsessed with maximising value of every single player to the extent that they keep renewing contracts and so on and so forth. Whereas if, if the head coach is going, look, I have no need for player X and actually I'm going to use player Z from, from the under-23s as the you know cover for a first teamer rather than player X, we can move player X on. And actually that that to me strike that strikes me as where one of the biggest problems has been at Manchester United, which, as Ragnick himself said, then left him with a squad of about eighty three to try and keep happy. Yeah, I think there's definitely been a lack of ruthlessness around elements of the squad over the last few years, and I think that probably extends to both 
starting players and players that you you may sort of consider to be part of the squad. That, I think that is going to change this summer just because of the contract situation. You're going to have Pogba go, you're going to have Lingard go, Juan Mata will go, we'll Phil go. Jones will surely go, Bailly will surely go. I mean, players you almost forget are at Man United to a certain extent over the last few months. Andreas Pereira, mm. yeah. yeah. Um, Marci- Martial, I don't know. I'm now just remembering players that I'd forgotten had played for them. Cavani will go, Ronaldo's a maybe. I mean, they can't get rid of everyone in, in one summer because... To replace them for the standard of a, if you want to be competing for the top four in the Premier League, each signing these days is thirty million pound plus. So they can't get rid. Of, they can't get rid of everyone, mm. even though at the moment I feel it feels like I think a lot of Manchester United fans probably have that scorched earth policy of I don't. I really don't like this group. I, I don't care if any of them are here next season, right? I think there is a sense of that around the state. I think it's why some fans are almost supporting this idea to knock down Old Trafford. That's how fed up they are of the situation and rebuild it. <laughs> it's like, just knock it all down, start again, get a new manager, and we'll be all right in August. So where that, I think, is super appealing for a new manager like Ten Hag is it's a very rare opportunity at a big club to really reshape the squad in your own image. And... There's going to be a lot of pressure this summer on Richard Arnold in his first summer as CEO to get that right for the new manager. Because if this managerial appointment goes wrong, this this decade that it's been since Ferguson retired will become 15 years on the almost on the base of what they do this summer. So it's it's absolutely crucial for them. Uh, but also, Carl, whilst that pressure is on Richard Arnold, that's also why you have a director of football. You have a director of football who ought to have the contacts and the nous and the ability to move players on if required. Yes, I think Adam's been on this show frequently talking about how for all the conversation that Edward was a was a numbers man, Manchester United have been especially bad at understanding how amortisation works. So yeah, you, you look at this list, not only, you know, you also have Donny van der Beek will be returning, Axel Twenzebi will be returning. An athletic subscriber once that said Manchester United have the reverse of a spine. So if you look at some of their most constantly chosen players, David De Gea, uh, Harry Maguire, Fred and Scott McTominay, Bruno Fernandes, and then a striker who we'll, we'll call Cristiano Ronaldo. Very few of them are complementary to the player who plays ahead of them. Um, so you've got David De Gea, who's very much uh, you know, a goalkeeper who stays on his line and, and can't really dominate the area outside of him. And then you've got Harry Maguire, who, okay, possibly can can do that and patrol that sort of area. But then ahead of that, you've got two players that can't make particularly great line-breaking passes. A player who makes too many line-breaking passes. And then you've got a striker who wants the ball to his feet and, and passes to precision. How you build around that and build a coherent team is especially difficult. I mean, we're now reached the stage with Jadon Sancho, where it was chased for two years to be the, the solution to the right-hand side. And now he's going to play, he's played the majority of his games on the left, which has a knock-on effect on other forwards around him. So this, this squad is a headache to put it politely. Laurie Whitwell's spoken about how United possibly seem to be in the market for two midfielders, one offensive, one defensive, uh, a right-sided attacker and a striker, which if you read that list, that is a damning indictment of the transfer activity Manchester United made in the summer of 2020, where they secured Cavani, a striker, Ahmad, Palestri, two right-sided wingers, Donny van der Beek, an offensive midfielder. And they did not sign a defensive midfielder, despite the fact it's been very evident they should have signed a defensive midfielder ever since the departure of Ander Herrera. So we can talk about directors of football and I, I, I mean to this day it's still quite difficult to, to know the difference between John Murta's role as a football director and the other role of director of football because director of football even as a role changes from club to club but but there is there is a lot of work to do in a stretchy amount of time shall we say. And for that reason and tapping into what Adam said about 
potentially going on 15 years, it's going to take time. This is not going to be an overnight job that Eric Ten Hag is going to throw them back into contention next season for the biggest trophies in world football. This is a little bit root and branch and it may be why he was in part installed or is going to be as the head coach. And when you look at that structure, the one person we haven't mentioned in this is Joel Glazer, who's the most powerful person in that family tree. All decisions, especially the major ones, have to be deferred to him. And around recruitment, you speak to some in the game who say he has a real liking for the big names, players he's heard of, sort of stars of the game. Saw Ronaldo come in, Sancho was obviously a massive name, Varane as well, which hasn't been an amazing success so far. And I think one of the most important things going forward is to see how much control John Murta Darren Fletcher can wrestle from this, Richard Arnold even as chief executive and bring more power onto the ground in Manchester in London and whether they can wrestle a little bit more from Joel Glazer because you hear resoundingly from people you speak to that too much of it resides with him. And I don't say that in an offensive way, but clearly it's not the way that some of the best teams in Europe are working in terms of Manchester City springs to mind immediately, Liverpool too. And if United want to be best in class, they have to rethink a little bit that dynamic between ownership and the expertise that's been appointed by the ownership to run the club. I think there also there also has to be questions about actually just the scouting and recruitment generally. When was the last time Man United signed a player and six months on you thought, God, what a brilliant signing? It's Bruno Fernandes. I wouldn't even say that's necessarily because of proper scouting ID. So we, we know Bruno Fernandes was scouted by a number of top clubs in, in, in Europe's top five leagues. And one of the big areas of, of consternation, the big quibble was he's not careful in possession. And that was the big quibble. And that, you know, for, for better or worse, allowed Manchester United to make a free run at a player. And, and it worked because something that you know you can't do in a, in a spreadsheet is that even though he's high risk, high reward, he's also of incredible high confidence. And it's sort of applied at the time the perfect sticking plaster onto a team that didn't know how to pass forward by having a person who passes forward relentlessly like he's running downhill but that's that that's your that's your one in how many i mean so many players now have- yeah but I, 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 just, I just look at players like you know liverpool recognizing the potential in robertson Mane, right Fabinho, I know Fabinho was playing in the Champions League, but you know how how this person can fit in with our manager and reach a whole new level. And we've seen so much of that from Man City and Liverpool. I think Tottenham as well. To be fair, when you look at Son, Kulusevski, I know it's been under under different managers, and you've just not seen that from for Manchester United. And unfortunately, until they get that right, it's going to be really really hard for anyone to succeed. And positional succession planning as well yeah. in those clubs you mentioned, they've got a really clear idea of who's for the now, who's going to challenge them, who's for the future. And at United, it's more been, who can we get right now that's impressed us on the numbers and we've got good connections to and we can get the deal done and we'll spend 50 million on Wambasaka. And at the time, I was being told that they quite liked Ethan Laird and he could be the backup to succeed him. The next thing you know, they're trying to sign Kieran Trippier. And it's almost like, get the strategy right and the thinking, the thought process correct. The best people experienced people at these other clubs who are proven in those processes and then execute it without being overruled by the people that own the club without any of that experience. To move it on from the structure and just because actually David mentioned Ethan Laird there. Carl, this this appointment should be quite good for those aged between 18 and 23 
at the club, shouldn't they? Whether that's Ted Amengi, whether that's Jimmy Garner, whether that's Laird, that's all of a sudden, I think one of the reasons why United fans might be so excited about this appointment, it is is to see the progression of some of these young players under a manager who has a record of bringing on young players. I'm going to say yes with a question mark. And I think oh, this is a- oh, I'm trying. I'm looking for <laughs> hope, Carl. I've never heard Mark so positive. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to say yes with a question mark. There's a, yes, there's an absolute proven track record of Ten Hag uh, progressing youth players, not just at Ajax, but also his time at Utrecht, uh, and also you know, his history at buying reserve team. So yes, there is previous history that if he spots a young player, he's got a very keen sense of talent ID and isn't, isn't afraid to, to, to take that young player and go and nourish them and say, I'm going to push you towards the first team. When we talk about the rebuild and the, and the scale of work ahead at Manchester United, the yes, the question mark is essentially, I'm not wholly sure Ten Hag will have the bandwidth to do that in his first season or so. I'm not, I'm not sure when, you know, if you look at that squad and the, the fact that if you look at Ten Hag right now, or Ten Hag's Ajax right now, they play a lot in terms of rotations at, at their fullback position. If you look at Manchester United's current fullbacks, I'd say there's only one fullback who is good at that, and that's probably Luke Shaw, uh, with again, question mark asterisks, maybe Brandon Williams can do that, but then Brandon Williams has some weaknesses elsewhere. So you get that thing of Ten Hag walks in, does he go, this isn't good enough, I need two starting quality fullbacks right now, this summer, so I can teach them all the preseason how to play, or does he have the time to go to Lee Valley Sports Centre to, to look at to look at the under 23 play and go actually I'm going to use you or, or look at Brandon Williams and say actually I'm going to use you so that's why the question mark is there he has the Nelson and the ability and the talent in theory to do that but also when you look at that first team and you look at the noticeable holes in that first team we could see a situation where Ten Hag will essentially go these aren't good enough tools to play the football I want and even though I can be slightly pragmatic I'd like to get some good pieces in now and then I'll deal with the young players later. Surely one of the obvious factors in that is which European competition United are playing in next season. Or they if any. Like, yeah, <laughs> they look like they're not going to qualify for the Champions League, which immediately raises the possibility of what you're talking about. If they were to qualify for the Europa League, it's a bit of a dilemma because of the Thursday, Sunday, they don't want to flop in that competition there's expectation. It's not the sort of breeding ground that perhaps it was when the Europa League started. And if they're in no European competition at all, it would be pretty disastrous for the club, but it might actually be advantageous for Ten Hag to work on the training ground to give some opportunities in domestic cup competitions and have a bit of a clean slate to sort of lean on United and say, let me rebuild. I think what's also interesting is, uh, I did this in a, in a hypothetical, how a rebuild can work, is that the, the the January transfer window, January 2023, happens just weeks after the World Cup. So even at a point in time where there's a hypothetical situation where Manchester United are perhaps in a European competition, perhaps they had a good start at the League Cup, perhaps they had a, a good time to, to, to blood some youngsters, and then it gets to the FA Cup third round you know, part, and then all the, the easy games in which you can play young p- players goes in, and then you have the January window to go left and right. You will have a bunch of players that have come back just after a World Cup with an extra bit of wear and tear on their legs. I think this, this World Cup is sort of four days shorter than a regular World Cup as well. So that will colour the next window for Ten Hag as well. So this is a very delicate first season for a manager to, to enter any club with, with I'm going to say, top six aspirations and be really mean and really make clear the level of the rebuild at Manchester United. This is a club that does ultimately want to win their 21st league title but on current balance is in the middle of a dogfight with the North London clubs Leicester City and possibly you know Wolves Aston Villa and, and whatever happens with Newcastle next season as well to get into that top six I'll say West Ham as well Carl just so you don't you know, <laughs> I'll stick from West Ham fans 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. D- David, can I ask a question, please? With Ten Hag, given he was at, he's been at Ajax this season, and I think most people would consider that Manchester United far bigger club brand budget than than Ajax um, in terms of what they're able to do financially. Why why didn't Manchester United do this in November rather than getting an interim manager in for six or seven months, which is ultimately actually going to cost them even more money because they're not going to be in the Champions League next season in all likelihood. Why didn't they just go and pay for Ten Hag? Is it because you know, they were at that stage looking more closely at Mauricio Pochettino. Had they even considered managers before sacking Solskjaer? A great question. And clearly they were all in for a period of time on Solskjaer and it became untenable. But they were invested in him. You know, he was fundamental in the recruitment decision-making process and they'd handed him a new contract not so long previously. But the moment that he started coming under severe pressure. The word among contacts who you speak to who are quite close to United or inside United was that it was an interim appointment until the end of the season and they will address the permanent manager in the summer. So for whatever reason, they were very clear in their mind of which route they would go down. It then became a recruitment process for the interim manager. In terms of Ten Hag specifically, He's been a manager that they've admired for quite some months, clearly, with the likes of Pochettino, Yulan Lopetegui, uh, Luis Enrique, and maybe a couple of others. But I think Ten Hag had given his commitment to Ajax for one more season after speaking to Tottenham last summer. Did he sign a new deal with a release clause in it that meant for him and his future, this was always going to come to a head in the summer of 2022? Would he stay longer? Would he leave? Would he strike some sort of agreement with the club to maybe take over in the summer of 2023? Because there are other major clubs who have been looking at him and like him a lot. Pochettino was not going to be easy to get out of PSG at that particular time. It seemed that United flirted with that. There were some conversations uh, reportedly, but at Paris Saint-Germain, Champions League campaign, I never thought that was likely to change mid-season so early in his tenure there. And so I think it was more logical. You could say a club of Manchester United's size and stature and stealth should be going in there and taking the best manager in the world at that point in time. But I think that's quite halcyon and hypothetical. And I do think that the summer was always more logical. And I don't think their recruitment process has been bad from the outside. In late January, we reported that it was going to get started in the coming weeks. It did. In late February, we reported that the process had started. They were making contact with representatives of the candidates to set up interviews and meetings. 
those meetings and interviews started happening in March. By the end of March, early April, they wanted to know the direction of travel. Again, we reported that. They wanted to basically have a decision on who they were going to go for. At that time, Eric Ten Hag emerged as the preferred candidate, even though Maurizio Pochettino seemed to be the the apple of their eye for a, a few years. And now they've carried through a pretty swift step-by-step process to reach an agreement and then now get it done within the next week in pretty good time for the transfer window and next season. So whether the appointment is right or not and the timing of it, should it have been when Solskjaer was sacked? Should Solskjaer have ever been given that new contract? Should Solskjaer have ever been in the job full stop? I don't think they have conducted the worst process to get to this point. The the timing of this verbal agreement now being out there, what, how and why has this come out? Have they tried to get this out now to, I don't know, well, there could be two reasons, I don't know. One, to try and shut a dressing room up who appear to have leaked again, oh, some players aren't convinced. I mean, my God, I don't know who they would be convinced by, the, you know, this dressing room. Or is it has it also been leaked to try and placate the fans because they are crap? I'll just quickly answer that before passing it over to Carl. Firstly, they haven't leaked it. I think it's uh, good work from us and a number of other journalistic organisations. I don't know that United wanted it out there, um, but it has come out. Uh, It's because they are and have been ramping up the process, intensifying their negotiations to try and get this done at the earliest possible opportunity so that they can begin their recruitment conversations, pre-season conversations, squad planning conversations, future conversations and hopefully do what their fans want them to do and and get things moving along rather than being on the back foot. Of course, they had to be sensitive to the seasons of Ajax and PSG in the cases of Ten Hag and Pochettino. There's a cup final for Ajax this weekend, which they uh, will want to be pretty subtle about things now, so not to distract Ten Hag. And that's why no written agreements will be finalised until next week and no confirmation officially, statements, etc. until next week, which is probably when that is going to happen. Um, And then it should be a relatively quiet run into the end of the season for both clubs and they can start looking to the future with hopefully, for United, a bit of optimism. If I may add some light editorialization here, yeah, I think it's very important to stress who are the they. So when, when you talk about the fans, uh, there's a distinction between the Manchester United fans who are somewhere between disappointed, excited and, and overjoyed about this possible verbal agreement and the Ajax fans who are somewhere between disappointed, uh, relieved and like, okay, now we can focus on what's been going on. So the, the, the recent spate of Ajax fixtures have had a number of conversations, a number of post-match press conferences where Ten Hag has been asked about his future and, and Ten Hag in his, his very diplomatic style has said, well, there's, there's no conversation to which a very to the point Dutch journalists have said, well, there is conversation over in England. They're saying there's a conversation. So what do you what do you have to do about it? So I think this this verbal agreement that has been excellently reported by, by David is, I think, one of the very key things in there is, is that nothing is, has been confirmed and nothing is going to be said until the, the, the KNVB Cup final, which is on the 17th, because very much that is that is one of the key objectives for Ajax. So on the Ten Hag, he's won two league titles, but also two doubles. It possibly could have been three if it wasn't for the COVID-impacted 19-20 season. That was sort of kiboshed despite the fact Ajax were running away with it Um, and I think and again this is outside looking in with my very bad conversational 
less than conversational Dutch trying to, to make sense of everything. I think this is what has happened here is uh, Ten Hag's perhaps noble ambition to win what he can with Ajax and, and ride off into the sunset has caused the this sort of staggered announcement that we're seeing right now. I think Ten Hag possibly wants to, to, to win this cup final on Easter Sunday, then focus on on securing a, a third Eredivisie title, which looks like more and more likely. Uh, there was a point, I'd say two or three weeks ago, where it looked as if there was a possible title race, but it looks to be swinging more in Ajax's direction. And I think we're, we're probably going to get some, some announcements and some for further conversation after the cup final, where he's got, well, hopefully he's got one bit of silverware in his cabinet and said, right, now I've done that. And we've got this many games left of the season. I am departing XYZ, 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 XYZ. It will also be very useful for if the announcement comes next week for Man United because they're, they're going to Anfield next week and they'll probably get battered. And then they go to Arsenal and that might also be difficult. And, uh, and you could have a situation where the fans, anniversary of the Super League, everyone's a bit grumpy. A new announcement gives gives hope it sort of pops that balloon for for a week or so and calms things down to a certain extent i'm sure there still will be you know songs sung and some some form of protest over the next few weeks but it would definitely be useful public relations i think for manchester united to get this announcement out sooner rather than later uh yeah and and get it signed you would have thought david as as big clubs start to fall out of europe yeah i don't think that ten hag is now going to go elsewhere himself there were reports of rb leipzig and we know ajax wanted to keep him and there would have been big money on offer for him to do so but yeah they do need to get it signed of course just to rubber stamp it and then yeah you're right you know at one point last night I th- I thought are uh, Manchester United going to turn to Carlo Ancelotti when Florentino Perez boots him out unceremoniously post defeat by Chelsea having squandered a first leg lead he's probably now going to get a new contract knowing the fluctuations there and um, you know Bayern Munich are out Julian Nagelsmann a, a manager that's admired by many clubs in the Premier League um, what are they going to do about him but United uh, their train has left the platform and it's going to the destination of Ten Hag. Uh, just a final one. What, what do you think this means for certain other clubs who've been dragged into this? Paris Saint-Germain being the prime one, obviously, Adam. PSG are quite interesting because for, for a long time this season, the general the general feeling around PSG was we've had a couple of years with Pochettino. It's, it's not really worked for some reasons that they're considered to be down to him. Some reasons that I think even they acknowledge, you know, the club might not be the best environment for a modern coach to work. And there was this feeling that, you know, if Man United come come to them with five million pounds, they'd probably do a deal because it would save them having to to pay him off um, in the summer. I think since they went out of the Champions League, there's been a bit of a deliberation within PSG about do we actually you know, a bit like what Manchester United are trying to do at the moment, almost in real time, attempt to re- really rebuild the way that we run this football club and the structures behind this football club. And that might extend to recruitment, scouting, sporting directors. And I know for sure that the CEO, uh, the president, Nasser Al-Khalafi, he'll be staying on despite some reports saying he won't be. But I think the rest of the club, it, it's it's very much let's see and let's have a discussion about what's best. So I don't think it's impossible now that Pochettino actually just stays and that they empower him a little bit more and make that environment a bit more positive. Equally, it would be so PSG to come out of that deliberation and just think, Zidane, he's there. He's quite like the job. You know, we know that he's got a really good record working with world-class players. And, and, and PSG, you know, they're never going to move away from this strategy of signing really really famous footballers right that's it's a bit like Real Madrid in the early 2000s that's 
that's what they consider themselves to be. It's Paris. It's the capital. You know, it's the capital of Europe. It's it's the place where the stars come to shine. And uh, and I think that's the way they they see the club and the brand. And you know, they've just opened a store in the, actually in New York um, in a pretty prominent location. That's almost like if you go into it, it looks almost like a Gucci or Versace style style store. So that brand that brand growth is, is of huge importance. You know, I mean, I know that they had. Just so I think it was like three or four years ago, um, their team that had opened an office in America went round the different stores um, in New York, the different sports stores, and they couldn't see PSG shirts. And it made them realize, you know, how much they had to do and how much they had to try and grow, grow that brand and that profile. And I think they are now at a stage where they are growing very rapidly in the States, but that doesn't always equal winning football. And the fans have made that clear to them this season you know there's been constant there's been regular protests by the ultras so yeah it's all a bit up in the air little insight there into the kind of shops that adam goes into <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have a clue what a gucci or a versace shop looks like on the inside but <laughs> but uh <laughs> but thank you adam we can go together yeah that'd be like yeah, yeah. i, I, I would never feel more comfortable than walking into a gucci shop i wouldn't imagine <laughs> right go on then david finally no i was just going to ask the boys where this leaves Maurizio pochettino without wishing to take anything away from jack pitt brooks piece on the athletic if anybody could verbalize uh jack's main argument that would be great so I, I think it's a fantastic piece from jack just essentially saying that you know they've been two or three times, you know, multiple occasions, it looks as if Pochettino and Manchester United has been a done deal. And, and if Pochettino had, had entered Manchester United last summer, he probably would have had the perfect opportunity to imprint his vision on you know, ultimately one of the biggest clubs in, in football and taken his, his star to, to a great amount of ascendancy. Now, uh, thanks to a Donnarumma mistake and a flurry from Karen Benzema and Luka Modric, he is now, I'm going to say, slightly on the outside looking in, in, in terms of, of the, the elite managers. So I think what we're We've got now in, in the Premier League, as we currently speak, the Premier League now has Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, top two managers in the world. You've got Thomas Tuchel, just a, probably a little bit ways behind them. There's Antonio Conte, possibly a little ways behind him. Um, and then you've got Ten Hag, who is possibly a little bit ways behind them. So at any point in time, the Premier League now has five of the top 20 managers in the world, possibly top 10, depending on how high you are on Ten Hag. Where Pochettino falls into this debate of, is he a top 10 manager? Is he a top 20 manager? Now, is that very frustrating thing where it matters less what he does as a manager and matters more on the perception of people around him? I think, and again, I'm, I'm doing some soft editorialization. This is my personal opinion here. I think what, in that race between Ten Hag and Pochettino, Pochettino's great advantage was possibly experience in the Premier League has a little bit more of a, um, I'm going to be polite here, a bit of an edge to him. And if you are, are a Manchester United fan who is of the belief that the current ownership is absolutely useless and you need a Messiah to come in and say, you, you, you and you, go away so I can do this, Pochettino possibly has an advantage over Ten Hag. However, if you want to have a conversation about who is the sharpest tactical mind and who has the ideas of modern football that will take your club from point B to point A and have you arguing for some of the biggest trophies in European and world football... Ten Hag has a slight advantage due to, and again, my personal opinion, bit of a don't don't take this as gospel. Due to what I think is an idea of scalability. So if you look at Ten Hag's progression through all these football teams, and especially how the IX class of eighteen nineteen is very different from the IX class of twenty twenty two, he can see a team go. I'm going to take you in this direction, but also while we're doing this, if you are not figuring this out quick enough I will put in checks and balances so things don't completely collapse whereas what we've seen with the Pochettino side at PSG at Tottenham Hotspur is that 
there will be times where Pochettino will be in charge and it won't be a Pochettino side. And we can all accept that. However, what he does to help you not have embarrassing defeats on the way to becoming a Pochettino side or not have an almighty collapse on the way down from being a Pochettino side, I don't think he has proven himself capable of arresting that rise and slide i think that will pro- that possibly is a softer merit on pochettino and probably one thing that will keep him out of consideration for jobs like you know if real madrid come need a new manager soon or you know again if for some reason pep guardiola decides to walk and manchester city are looking for a big club the question will be well when was the last true pochettino side and is it worth it waiting that time to wait for it to happen and waiting for that time for it to come down and until he can address those problems i think he possibly won't be in one of those champions league quarter finalists or semi-finalist teams but the problem is he needs to be in charge of one of those clubs to prove that he can do that job it's quite interesting that pochettino appears to have had long-term backing of sir Alex Ferguson and recent and very public backing of Wayne Rooney and some other prominent ex-players yet that doesn't appear Adam to have held much sway in or any sway in the decision-making process because it's not gone his way. No and you know I think I think Gary Neville as well has been leaning I don't think you know I don't think he's spoken negatively about Ten Hag but I think he's been leaning from what he's been saying around you know seeing the merits of, of Pochettino I, th- I think I'm right in saying United you know have consulted some former players over the last few months not just in terms of the managerial appointment but also in terms of how they reshape the club under the new CEO I, I also know that you know the club were a little bit spooked by just the way that particularly sort of the online media online media space really pivoted away from Pochettino and and became very very enthusiastically in support of Ten Hag and almost anointed him as this possible messiah now that doesn't mean Manchester United haven't done a thorough process and done all the interviews but they are conscious of fan perception and historically that might have been you know you just talk to the guys that run the fanzines or you talk to the supporters trust and these days that panorama is is broader you know you you bear in mind those you know they've now got a fan advisory board they've got different relationships with different stakeholders in terms of fan groups but but they are aware of what the general moods are and the sentiments are on social media and i'm sure to, to an extent that will have helped ten hag even though the dressing room reportedly wanted pochettino that was a, a huge round of reports yeah. a few weeks ago yeah. Well, there were definitely play- there were definitely certain players I think that that would have that have, that have seen his work, right? They've they played against his Luke teams. Shaw's worked under him, right? Yeah, they've they played against his teams. They've been beaten by some of his teams, and I, I think they looked at that and thought, yeah, you know, he's got the energy and the credibility and Premier League record, and he'd be good for us. At the same time, I'm always a little bit conscious of you know reports around players want this, players want that, because it's usually, you know, an agent saying their opinion that can become a little bit extrapolated at times so a little bit conscious of you know x player wants this x player wants that but it's i think it's certainly the case that there were players in in that dressing room who who would have liked to work under mauricio pochettino but that doesn't mean they're not going to work under the man that's being chosen because he's also got a fantastic record this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Thanks to Adam, David and Carl. If you want to read all of the Athletic Superb Britain coverage of this story, you can subscribe now for just a pound a month. Head to theathletic.com slash football pod. And there's plenty more to come on the Athletic Football Pod feed this week. Tomorrow, Dan and Flo will bring you a show focusing on Tottenham's resurgence under Antonio Conte. Then there's the preview show, as always, on Friday. And I'll be back uh, next week looking at all the big stories. Thanks for listening. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.